everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. There is a passage in Leviticus that talks about drinking blood. And you might be thinking, why are we studying Leviticus? And the answer is, it's back by popular demand. You asked for it. And so uh, we're resuming a series that we started back in, I think, June, where we've been looking at the book of Leviticus. And the book of Leviticus has a reputation for being boring, dull, irrelevant. And if you're trying to read the Bible from cover to cover, Leviticus is typically the place where you get stuck or just page ahead or flip through. But one of the things uh, we've been trying to show is that even in a book like Leviticus, the teachings of the Bible, in particular this ancient Hebrew scripture, connects to our life today in ways that you might not expect. And so we've been calling this series uh, Blood, Fire, and Gospel. So there's good news that points us to the person of Jesus in this book. And we started the series uh, by looking at the subject of fire, in particular the Holy Spirit, which often shows up as fire. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at blood. There's lots of passages in the Bible about blood. I looked at them all this week. But let's start with uh, Leviticus chapter 17, and the Bibles in the back have the page numbers that are on the screen. I've been encouraging everyone to bring their paper Bibles. Uh, and the other thing that you'll notice, if you didn't see on your way in, in the back on those two tables, there are little communion cups that have both juice and little crackers in there. We're going to be taking communion during our closing worship set. So go grab those uh, at some point, either now or later, the Bibles and or the communion sets. So Leviticus chapter 17. This is being spoken to the Israelites as they are in the wilderness, having been rescued from Egypt. And so if you can remember way back, being part of this story is actually super important to understanding what's going on because we're looking at a new people, a new way of living that is very distinct and different from the slavery that they were led out of. So the rule of Pharaoh is being replaced by the rule of God. And so this new people is going to be distinct. They're going to live in a new way. A lot of the uh, kind of symbolic keys point us back to Genesis 1 and 2, which is the creation story. So again, it's all about how do we live as new, free people. And then you have this like kind of strange stuff like in Leviticus 17 where it's all about eating or maybe drinking blood. So it's a little gross, but just stick with me. 17 verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to Aaron and his sons, in other words, the priests, but also to all the people of Israel. This is what the Lord has commanded. If any native Israelite sacrifices a bull or a lamb or a goat anywhere inside or outside the camp, instead of bringing it to the entrance of the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, 
to present it as an offering to the Lord, that person will be guilty as a murderer. Ooh, that's rough. So in other words, you have to bring it to the tabernacle, later the temple, anytime you kill or sacrifice an animal, it's to be brought into that place where God dwells. Bring it into the presence of the Lord. Um, Let's see here. Such a person has shed blood and will be cut off from the community. The purpose of this rule is to stop the Israelites from sacrificing animals in the open fields. And one specific thing that it mentions here, it will ensure that they bring their sacrifices to the priest at the entrance of the temple so he can present them to the Lord as peace offerings. Then the priest will be able to splatter the blood against the Lord's altar at the entrance of the tabernacle, and he will burn the fat as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The people must no longer be unfaithful to the Lord by offering sacrifices to the goat idols. It must have been uh, a pagan ritual that some Israelites were attracted to, uh, in a sense, uh, trying to get from demons what God wasn't giving them because they weren't trusting God. They were trying to take matters into their own hands. Okay. Uh, this is a permanent law for them, this is still verse 7, to be observed from generation to de- generation. Give them this command as well. If any native Israelite or foreigner living among you offers a burnt offering or a sacrifice but does not bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle to offer it to the Lord, that person will be cut off from the community. Okay, stop right there. You probably don't see the relevance <laughs> of what's going on uh, yet, but As you may recall, part of what's happening in the book of Leviticus is the priests and what happens inside of the temple becomes symbolically a type for what is meant for the entire community of Israel to embody, but then to spread that life, not just inside the camp, but bring it outside the camp. But at this point, everything is still being rooted through the temple. So sacrifice, slaughter, of animals, all is brought into this holy space, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the temple. I mentioned this a few, well, now it's been over a month ago, but what happens when Jesus is sacrificed is informed by this command. So all sacrifices have to happen inside the camp at the temple. Jesus is sacrificed, you guys know where? Outside of town, outside of the camp, in that unholy space. So part of what Jesus' sacrifice is all about is it's the the moment in time where everything changes. Holiness, God's presence, is now outside the camp, everywhere, for anyone. The invitation is not just for a select few who come to a specific place, and can be redeemed or atoned for or made right with God by going to Jerusalem, to the temple. Now there is good news. There is a power that is emanating outside of this people. A people meant to bring good news to the world. A people designed to bring the presence of God wherever they go, to wherever they go, in everything they do. Okay, refreshed, (laughs) tracking, back to verse, where was I, 10? 10. 
And if any native Israelite or foreigner living among you eats or drinks blood in any form, I will turn against that person and cut him off from the community of your people. For the life of the body is in the blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. And if you have your own Bible, you could circle that word purify. Um, The translators of the NLT, which this Bible is, is trying to take out some theological jargon for you to help you understand. Good thing to do. The, The theological term there that could be in its place is atonement. But they don't use the word atonement because while you might think, well, atonement's other places in the Bible, maybe it's got a really simple, easy to understand uh, definition. It's actually not a simple or easy to understand concept, and it doesn't have a straightforward definition. But we will get to that. Um, that is why I've said to the people, verse 12, you must never eat or drink blood, neither you nor the foreigners living among you. Now, the first time I tried to read the Bible from cover to cover, I was either in middle school or high school. And I remember this particular passage being troubling because I was the son of a farmer and we had corn and soybeans and hay, but we also had a couple dozen cattle in the pasture and several dozen steaks in our deep freezer at all times. And the way I liked my red meat was, like many of you, Medium to medium rare. And here I read in the Bible that I'm not supposed to consume blood. So does that make me a bad Christian? Well, maybe it's just Leviticus and it doesn't apply to us. Certainly I saw my dad eating the red meat, medium rare as well. Uh, But you don't quite get off the hook in this case. You know, it's Old Testament, it's Leviticus. Because in Acts 15... Something that some of you may know about happens. They have a little council in Jerusalem to decide what the Gentiles, what the non-Jews have to do in order to like follow Jesus. So Jesus was a Jew. His first followers were Jews. You people who are not Jews, you know, do you have to do circumcision? Do you have to follow the holidays? Do you have to go through the sacrificial system? And the answer to that was no, 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 except for sexual morality, remembering the poor, which is all over the Old Testament, and there's a prohibition against drinking blood. Why would that come up again in Acts 15? Uh, Let's say a thousand years after this was written in Leviticus, and to these new, now non-Jewish Christians who are trying to follow Jesus. Well, Let's back up a little bit and talk about original context in Leviticus, and then we'll talk about New Testament context, and then we'll try to extract the meaning and figure out what it means for us today, shall we? So, you already heard about the goat idols or the goat gods. That was one thing that was happening. But something else in the neighboring countries that would happen when you, say, killed an enemy or an animal is you would drink the blood because you believed that blood had magical powers, The life of the person was in that blood, and so if you drink that blood, the the power, the spiritual energy was consumed and given, absorbed by you, right? So now you've got that person's power or energy or whatever. Jump forward to the time of Jesus. This idea hadn't totally 
disappeared. So there's a historian that would have been a contemporary of Jesus called Pliny the Elder. He lived from like 22 AD, 23 AD to 79. And it says here that epileptic patients are in the habit of drinking the blood of gladiators, draughts teeming with life. These persons consider it a most effectual cure for their disease to quaff the warm, breathing blood from man himself, and as they apply their mouth to the wound to draw forth his very life. That's gross, but kind of vampire-like and helps inform why even at the time of Jesus, he's not talking about drinking medium rare, eating, drinking, drinking, eating medium rare steak, He's talking about a superstitious belief that people had that if I drank blood, that there would be some spiritual power or medicinal or magical transfer. Okay, that goes back to that foundational thing that people in the ancient world believed about blood, that the life of a thing, a human or an animal, is in the blood. They didn't think about blood like we think about blood today. We think about it through a scientific lens. They just know when people lose a lot of blood, what would happen? They would die. So we have this prohibition against drinking blood in Leviticus 17. Very interestingly, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he looks at his disciples and says, what? This cup as he's celebrating Passover, this cup full of wine is my blood. Drink it to remember me. Jesus' disciples were good, God-fearing, Bible-believing, Torah-memorizing Jews. When they hear Jesus say the words, this is my blood, drink it. Their little sirens and their little theological brains are going, no, what is he saying? And why is this command that is given here in Leviticus 17 that was still relevant for them in their Greco-Roman context, you know, Roman Empire, gladiators, uh, Roman soldiers down the street, Colosseums down the road, Jesus is saying this so that they're, they're trying to make sense of these words that Jesus says. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Somehow, and this comes up over and over again throughout the New Testament, the writings of Paul, in particular the book of Hebrews, atonement, or short definition, whatever it is that makes us right with God, happens because of Jesus shed blood. Jesus' sacrifice and death makes atonement, helps make us right with God. Now, the reason that atonement can't totally be simplified down into a short formula or equation is because atonement actually doesn't point us to a definition or a formula. It points us to a story, and that story is about Jesus and includes his life ministry message, the kingdom of God has come, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. All of that 
is what makes us right with God. It mends the relationship that we have with God. It restores our humanity. It gives us a, a forgiveness of sins, but also heals us from the trauma in our life. In other words, through this new identity, we are no longer defined by the horrible things that we've done or the horrible things that have been done to us. This new identity is the reality, the shift that we are beloved by God. That is who we are. And this God has an undying love for you. That is why he died. Jesus died for you because of his undying love towards you. This is the package of atonement and what Leviticus 17 is kind of setting us up for when they say the life of a person or of an animal is in the blood. And then on Passover, the night before, the night that Jesus is betrayed, Jesus says, this is my blood, drink it. This is my life given for you. We find this idea, uh, for instance, in 1 John 1 verse 7. You can turn there. But it's, as I said, it's in different places in the Bible. I really like Colossians 1 verse 20, which we won't turn to. But it says there that peace was made by Jesus' blood, just for instance. And we're not talking like people stop fighting wars. We're talking full-scale wholeness. Peace was made between God and people. Peace was made for us internally. Peace was made for us between each other uh, through his shedding of blood. But in 1 John, this is like at the very end, so it's, it's almost hard to find. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, I think I got that wrong. Is it right? Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment. Is that what? Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Why don't I see that in my Bible? <laughs> oh, I'm in, okay. I see. I see what's happening. There's a one. And then I looked over and found seven, but that's in chapter two. Okay. <laughs> well, chapter one only has 10 verses. That's pretty short. Okay. Thank you for uh, putting up with me. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So, big words there are forgiveness. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. Forgiveness, cleansing, uh, and uh, confession, purifying. Okay, well, you got the idea. <laughs> the idea of purification and cleansing comes to us there in 1 John verse 7. 
And this idea that Jesus' sacrifice cleanses us is really central to our belief about what Jesus does when he dies on the cross. There is an element where he acts as our substitute. And you remember last time when we like put this series on hold, we, we had a goat right there. There was a goat. But in, uh, in the day, on the Day of Atonement, that goat, goat was not killed, remember? The sins of the people were transferred to the goat, and the goat was yell, uh, led out uh, into the wilderness. Not put in the closet, as almost happened, which actually, metaphorically, tends to happen. Instead of sending our guilt, the horrible things we've done, our shame out into the wilderness and letting God take it, we just kind of hide it away in a corner of our hearts where it festers and makes a mess. Uh, so that, that was an unintended metaphor. I don't know if you guys, I, someone who was watching online was like, that was amazing, what happened? The, the whole goat in the closet thing, I guess, was really profound. I just didn't even know it at the time. Okay, so <laughs> back to uh they have atonement. The substitution is part of what happens in Jesus' death, but the, the purification, the cleansing, the shedding of blood is not the same thing as Jesus dying in our place. There is a, in other words, there's something that happens when Jesus dies that our, our sins are erased, but there's also something positive that happens that, that gets transferred to us. And so if we go back to that day of atonement passage, before they do that thing with the goat, they actually do what is called a sin sacrifice or a sin offering. And we talked about this briefly, again, in a separate talk. But they do, before the Day of Atonement scapegoat, there's a sin offering. And it's mentioned in Leviticus chapter 16. So as you turn there... And as I turn there, what's the page number? 122. You'll see that in verse 19, yes, he sprinkles the blood with his finger seven times over the altar, and this way he cleanses it from Israel's defilement, and here's the positive, makes it holy. In other words, and again, this is where this could change maybe your little, a little bit of your understanding about what's happening when Jesus dies. This is kind of a theological morning. I hope you're okay with that. Um, we often think Jesus is being punished for our sins. And that's all that's happening. And I'm not saying that's totally wrong. But when they sacrificed the animal in the sin offering, they are not thinking, oh, the animal is being punished for the sins of the people. What is happening instead is the life of the animal that is being sacrificed is being used to purify and cleanse or cover these holy objects that have been desecrated, defiled by Israel, the people's sin. The blood of the sacrificial animal, the life of the animal, is symbolically here cleansing or covering the sin, making holy, purifying those things that have been tainted by the sin of the people. What happens symbolically 
during these sacrifices is what Jesus does in reality for each of us. Not just a clean slate, but a transfer of life, a, a purification, but also a making you holy and worthy. And so like if you're someone who has like a serious trauma in your past, you are not defined by it. You are defined by the life of Jesus that is inside of you if you open yourself to it. And that's what makes you holy. You might be thinking, well, I can barely keep it together. But just know that Jesus is there with you. And you're, oh, you're making it. You're doing it. You're here. You're, you're doing your best to bring your life into alignment with his. And you don't earn his favor or his love. It is given freely. So, Jesus' life was not just given for you. Jesus' life was given to you. And what does that life look like? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Uh, a lot of this stuff in Leviticus gets brought up in Hebrews, and especially chapter 9 and 10. And so 1284 is our page here. And we'll start with uh, verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. There it is again. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Remember in the tabernacle, there was this curtain that separated God from people. So that there's nothing now to separate us from God because of Jesus. And since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus too, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So as the life of Jesus comes into us, we would expect that through this transformation, we actually begin to love more like Jesus. The things that Jesus does, the way that Jesus treats people begins to ooze out of us because Jesus' life is inside. And central to that life is a self-sacrificing love. And so um, just that's what this 100 hours of service thing is really about. We are looking for ways to self-sacrificially love by giving our time, our energy uh, to other people or organizations who serve other people. And so, I mean, if, if you haven't done anything in the last month to serve someone, like free of charge, right, self-sacrificially, I mean, it, it's time to do a little heart check and, and look forward to the next month and say, Some, I'm going to serve sacrificially this coming month. That's part of what it looks like to have the life of Jesus at work inside of you. And the other thing uh, that comes up here, it's so interesting that right beside good works comes community, right? 
right inside, we're looking at what it means to be deeply connected to each other. Don't give up meeting together so that you can encourage each other. And I, I was just saying this to someone, like, what we do here on Sunday, I think, is, is really good and valuable, and we worship Jesus, and we can say hi, but the deep connection needs something more outside of a Sunday morning. And that's why we have our tripods. That's why we encourage you to find people to meet with and talk about what's really going on, to share your actual life with them and for them to share their actual life and feelings and heart and passions with you. There's life groups that'll be starting up in the fall. There's friendships that are worth giving your time to because Jesus actually does not write a book. I know we've got this, but these are his friends and these are prophets and these are uh, people after Jesus who write these words down. Jesus started a community of people, of 12 men and a few women that he invested in, that he gave his time to, and that ultimately he gave his life to. And so let's stand and pray. Dear Jesus, I pray that as we looked at some atonement theology today and the the power that is in your blood, the life that you offer us, that you breathe into us through your spirit, that we would actually move towards you and toward other people that we would be moved to worship, that we would be motivated and inspired to love. And so come Holy Spirit. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.